Hi, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. You are here with I Need No Name and Samrin today, and you are not here with Chuck because, well, Chuck has been carrying this podcast on his shoulders for the past month or so because we usually record on Sunday and um, uh, people like to take their Sundays off. For me personally, I had the flu and I'm still trying to get my voice back. And of course, Inn had a busy period too. So Inn, what is going on with you? Um, what accounts for your absence from the podcast over the past month? Well, it's not amazing, but I have been busy because my Saturdays are my on-call days. I need to spend an entire 24 hours in the hospital and I can be called at any moment for patients and whatever. And after that, I have just no energy left for Sunday. So it's just that kind of thing. That does not mean I have not been watching games, but it does mean that my availability for the podcast has been very limited. Definitely makes sense. And so um, speaking of limited, uh, Byron's transfers this winter have been limited to Eric Dyer. And what have you thought of Eric Dyer's move from Tottenham to Bayern Munich on loan? Well, I can't say I am surprised, but I have to say that I am disappointed because I thought that with all the statements being made about, you know, that we would be having plenty of winter reinforcements coming, the board is aware of the state of the squad, etc., etc., that we would get some certain kind of outlay in the winter to make sure that the squad looks better than it did coming into the winter break. But instead, all we have so far is Eric Dar signed and some vague promises that we will get a right back at some point, possibly Nordi Mukiele from PSG. Though currently that transfer seems like it might still be a little bit difficult because PSG do not want to agree to a loan deal, which is what Christoph Ryan wants. It's just a little bit frustrating, to be honest, because after the summer we had, I thought that we were going to really go all out in this winter and try and get some good people in. Last year, when Manuel Neuer got injured, we went out and got Joao Cancelo and Jan Sommer. So that made me very optimistic about how the team was going to be shaping up. Now, again, that doesn't necessarily mean that we ended up doing great that season for whatever reason, but it did make me optimistic. In comparison, this this current situation does not make me optimistic at all. So I might be in the minority in when I think that the squad we have is good enough and all we need are depth pieces because Kimmich can play a right back and he has been a world-class right back in the past. And in midfield now, with the introduction of Alexander Pavlovich and with uh, Rafa Guerrero back, we have additional options. And of course, Limer can play in midfield too. And we have Kimmich and Goretzka. Aside from a world-class right back, do you think there are any other positions that need fulfilling over the winter? Well, I wouldn't have been opposed to getting Joao Palini, to be honest. Like, I know that Fulham wanted a large amount of money, but... They wanted a large amount of money in the summer too. And as far as I can tell, nothing has changed between then and now to make the transfer, well, to make the transfer not go through. At the moment, I guess that Bayern see the emergence of 
Alexander Pavlovich as a reason to, you know, stop themselves from spending 60 million euros on Alinea. And also, I can't confirm this because I have not watched Fulham this season, but apparently Paulinia has not been as good since the summer compared to what he was before that. So maybe that has also caused Bayern to cool off on their transfer ambitions. But it's still like disappointing because we were promised this guy. We got so close to getting him. Apparently he was in Munich in the Savannahstrasse. He had already taken his photos and posed with the shirt. And that's when the transfer fell through. And now we were promised again i keep bringing this up we were promised big things in this winter and all we got was eric dyer so you know we made a profit last summer on player sales which is frankly quite absurd when you think about the fact that we signed harry kane for that absurd amount of money even if all the bonuses in harry kane's contract are fulfilled that summer will still come out as a profit for us so i don't see why we're being so conservative with all our money is does this mean that we are going to go in for a massive shakeup in the squad in the coming summer? Does this mean that the board envisions something like multiple players leaving and us needing all the funds we can get to replace them? I don't know. It's just a very strange pattern of behavior. And this is also Christoph Freund's first proper transfer window as a sporting director. And I am genuinely not impressed. I think what you mentioned about the contracts, that's another reason why Max Abril is being brought in to negotiate those contracts because although Freund is supposed to be a very um very shrewd, I guess, negotiator and whatnot, Abril does have long term experience and the Bundesliga is technically a Bayern man. So a Bayern does definitely does have an eye out on those contracts. At the same time, I think Bayern did not go for reinforcements despite the fact that or probably, you know, the winter transfer window is still open or did not go for Palinia at least because Harry Kane did cost a lot of money. And while you were perfectly correct in saying that um, we did make a, a profit over the summer and even if Harry Kane's bonuses are fulfilled, we'll still turn over a profit. I guess the optics of signing or at least just going through the process of another tough transfer from the Premier League did not feel good to Bayern. And on top of that, when your best club is Fulham and that's the highest level you played at, I would have some doubts about how well Palinia could do at Bayern. And if Palinia was added as a depth piece, I don't know if spending 65 to 70 million uh, euros on a depth piece makes sense but just going back to the right back situation who would you rather in that Bayern looks into because sometimes I feel like there are not enough good enough options that fit the team right now and Bayern just doesn't want to give in more to Tuchel well honestly this is one of the reasons why I wouldn't have minded spending that much of that amount of money on Joao Palinia because if we had got him, that would bolster the midfield and that would leave space at right back for Joshua Kimmich to move there. Now, whether or not Joshua Kimmich wants to be a right back is neither here nor there. If the coach wants him to be there, he will go and he will perform to the best of his abilities as he is a professional. And I expect him to perform quite well there. I think that would be a better solution than, you know, going out on the market and buying some B tier right back to maybe hopefully 
Titus over until Matrawi returns, hopefully undamaged from the Africa Cup of Nations, which, you know, it doesn't, in terms of planning, it doesn't really appeal to me. Right. So in terms of squad planning and the major overhaul that you were thinking about in the summer, let's just stick to Kimmich for a second. And Kimmich being at right back, I mean, Kimmich has kind of, Kimmich feels that he is a six. And yes. has made us aware of this. So if Byron does think about shifting Kimmich to right back, do you think that will affect the contract negotiations that are coming up? Oh, definitely. And I think a lot of things have irreparably damaged the link between Bayern Munich and Joshua Kimmich over the last six or seven months. Okay. So I genuinely think right now that Joshua Kimmich is thinking about a move away from Bayern Munich. There have been reports recently that he has been looking for a player agent. And there are also reports that uh, PSG are extremely determined to sign him. They even tried to sign him this winter, which is just ridiculous. I mean, how could they think that we would ever let him go in the winter at the time when we are trying to sign him right back in the midfield or on the market? But but it does show that there is a significant market out there for Kimmich. And I have no doubt that if he were to offer his services to other clubs in the summer, no matter what Bayern Munich fans might think of him and his shortcomings and whether or not he's a six or not, the teams that will line up to sign him will be the best teams in Europe. Teams like Manchester City or Real Madrid or Barcelona or etc. etc. Those are the teams that are going to be lining up to sign him, not Fulham. So based on that, it's obviously in Bayern Munich's interest to keep Joshua Kimmich and keep him happy. I just don't think that it is Bayern Munich's agenda right now. Right now, I feel like there is a shift at the club and there is a desire to see the squad shaken up. And it is not just a sentiment I see at the top from the bosses and from Thomas Tuchel, but I see this in the fan base too. They There is a pervasive section of the fan base that blames the squad for certain shortcomings in previous seasons. And they want to see certain players who have been mainstays of this squad and were mainstays in the treble here removed and replaced with what they feel would be upgrades. I do not agree with this. I think that squad continuity is something that Bayern Munich has thrived on and something that we should continue to preserve as much as possible. But currently, given the state of our performances on the pitch, it is very difficult for many of these players to make the case that they should be kept around when the summer comes around. I would argue quite a bit of that. Well, I, let me not say quite a bit of it, but to a certain extent, that is down to Thomas Tuchel. Oh, yeah. Tuchel, yeah, the, you know, whatever shape you want to call Tuchel's current football right now, this offense, which kind of knows each other like the back of their hands, because this set of players, aside from Kane, Muller, Gnabry, um, Coman, Zane, they have all, Muziala, they've all played with each other together for multiple seasons now. And they know each other well. And the squad has been together for quite a few seasons as well. Suddenly, the attacking play is stale and in and around the box, people don't know how to figure things out. Like that is, that to me is a coaching issue. And this happened against Hoffenheim too in the first half. I guess the only pass that I will give, um, Tuchel here is that Bayern did come back from the winter break and it is normal to be a little rusty after the winter break and Bayern does take a few games to get back in shape usually. Um, 
so that we can give him. And while there is an appetite for squat overhaul, like you, I do believe that if Kimmich leaves, if Goretzka goes, Goretzka's one is a little different. His his relationship, we'll, we'll have to see how this how this plays out. He did start on the bench against Hoffenheim. If Leroy Zane goes, if Alfonso Davies goes, if Jamal Muziala goes, for each of these players that Bayern loses, a world-class squad will gain one of them. And so Bayern will not only lose out on world-class players in their own squad, Bayern will be bolstering their rivals, just like Tony Kroos. And at the time, I feel like Bayern didn't have a better option than to let Kroos go. But presenting Tony Kroos to Real Madrid meant not just losing a world-class player, but also bolstering a world-class team. And that happened with the departure of David Alaba too, because when players leave Bayern Munich, unless... Well, when players leave Bayern Munich at the prime of their careers or in and around their prime, they're not going to Fulham, for example. They are going to the best clubs in the world. So I think if Bayern does go for chop and change, they'll be setting a dangerous precedent because we don't know who Thomas Tuchel has in mind for those positions. And Tuchel's track record so far at Bayern has been too patchy to justify him planning the squad. And even the other day, I think I was looking at Tuchel's um, record in the Bundesliga um, up to this point. I think he has managed something around 36 games in total. Um, This might be across all competitions. I'm not sure if it's just the Bundesliga. And he has won 24, which is two-thirds. And even after all these wins this season, it's still two-thirds. And that that speaks volumes about how much damage Tuchel, that's how much damage there was in the team once Tuchel took over last season. And this season, despite the results coming in, some of the performances have just been unwatchable. So credit where it is due, he has started Muller in three games in a row. And I think he's starting to realize that the attack does benefit from Muller being there. But let me not say this and then see Muller benched forever from here on end. In terms of squad planning, and who do you think will stay and who do you think will walk? Well, as far as we can tell, the only people guaranteed to stay right now are Harry Kane, Manuel Neuer, and, well, Thomas Muller, because they, the latter two, they extended their contracts and the rest, well, I don't know. I, I, I genuinely don't think that Tuchel has any non-negotiables in his squad right now. And the few that he does have, they are players that might not want to stick around. For example, Jamal Muziala, you know? Because if Muziala sees around him players like Kimmich, Goretzka, uh, Davies all leave during the prime of their careers, what what incentive does he have to spend the rest of his prime in Germany instead of, I don't know, going to England, going somewhere like Man City or who knows where, whichever team will have him really, because we know for a fact that Muziala could walk into any team on the planet. So because of that, it really just feels like those three players are the ones that are safe right now. Everyone else, there is something or the other that could cause them to leave. Think about this. Think about Matty Tell. He might want more playing time. He might leave. Um, Chupo and Sar, they are probably going to be sold regardless of what they do. Gnabry, Coman, they're 
performances have been under fire this season. Then you have, what is it? Leroy Sané, he has been great, but his contract is running out. If he decides not to extend, again, he will have to be sold. Kimmich and Goretzka, we've already discussed this. Conrad Limer, he hasn't been great this season. There is definitely a chance he could be sold after just a single season, just like Marcel Sabitzer was. And then there, well, Sabitzer wasn't sold after a single season. He was sent on loan after one and a half seasons, but that's a different thing altogether. And then it's like, in defense, we have rumors about Matthias De Ligt, which is absolutely devastating, but it's the way Tuchel wants to be. And we can't really do anything about that. And on top of that, there is Nusser Matshrawi and all the controversy that happened during, well, regarding his post about Palestine and et cetera, et cetera. Maybe that could prompt him to leave on top of the fact that Tuchel does not seem to rate him all that much. Alfonso Davies, we've already talked about. And Daniel Peretz at goalkeeper, he is a guy who will probably want to leave in search of minutes. So did I actually miss out anyone? Did I miss out any players that would want to stay? I think I only didn't mention Upamecano, who, well, if the entire house collapses on right around him, why would Upamecano want to stay? I take your point in, and I think each of the players that you mentioned, except maybe Alfonso Davies, although Davies himself hasn't really said much, about moving away from the club, I think each of the players would rather stay at Bayern. Jamal Muziala, when he left Chelsea, left Chelsea to come to Bayern, knowing that he was a world-class talent. And it Bayern worked hard to get him. Joshua Kimmich, I think I saw a report where he mentioned that he's actually, where um, it was mentioned that internally he's a bit surprised that Bayern hasn't reached out to him to speak about contract negotiations, which again tells me that he would rather stay at Bayern. Tells attitude, screams, just, you know, a love for Bayern. And I think I saw, I saw this one, uh, comment about Tell somewhere that called Tell, um, that mentioned that Tell had Thomas Muller energy. And he really does. He's always running around. He's um, he's always interacting with the fans, always one of the last to leave the pitch after games. It, it, to me, all across. And of course, Delict. Delict used to appear in front of the cameras every time Bayern had a bad performance last season, ready to accept ownership of what had just happened. And on top of that, he, you know, Bayern had, had worked hard to get him. And he came into this club feeling like he could take the next step and delayed, arguably was Bayern's best defender last season, if and one of the best defenders in the Bundesliga. So the, these negotiations, and I don't know what is going on since uh, Brazzo was sacked and whatnot, but these negotiations have been left till too late, have made some of the players feel underappreciated. And I'm very surprised, and I will be very surprised if a club as savvy as Bayern does not see that they their benefit is in extending pretty much each and every one of these players. My only doubt is about um, Gnabry, maybe because he just hasn't seen enough minutes with injuries and Byron does have enough depth in 
the front four, but I would also argue that with Thomas Muller getting older, it might also be worth keeping Gennabry around. And as far as Coleman is concerned, I know that he has been inconsistent and I know that Coleman doesn't necessarily, um, it doesn't necessarily have the end product and hasn't had it for a while while being at Bayern. And yet he also screams Bayern and that sense of loyalty is not easy to find. And this man did score a Champions League winning goal. So like, I don't know why everyone has come under fire and Thomas Tuchel hasn't come under fire. And do you think in just, just knowing Byron's history and where Byron has, how Byron has traditionally dealt with these situations, Byron is actually going to let a bunch of these players leave? Um, To be honest, knowing Byron's history, Thomas Tuchel should have been fired already. So I think we are not in... A situation where we can rely on history to determine what's going to happen in the future. The current backing that Thomas Tuchel is getting is completely out of character for any buying management. And I think it's really an overcorrection after the way Julian Nagelsmann was fired last season. I believe that it just seems like the bosses are a little bit afraid to fire another coach after this so they're going the other direction which is firing the players and well it might work i'm not gonna say it won't work because if we get good players in maybe that though that's what thomas tuchel needs to make the team good and maybe then he's gonna be i don't know we're gonna be the best team in europe and we'll win the champions league and this and that and all all of that stuff but I, i i seriously doubt it because a lot of these players are some of the best in the world at their positions, and I don't see how we're going to easily replace them. Maybe Christoph Freund has a plan, or maybe we're just doing this as some sort of ill-advised negotiating tactic to make it so that they ask for less money in transfer negotiations because it feels to them that they are not as appreciated, so they won't have the upper hand in negotiations. But it doesn't feel like that. It feels like a concerted effort to make a genuine change in the squad. As for whether or not the change will actually go through, well, I, 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 it almost feels like I'm replying to the same question three times, but a lot of the things are just subtly different. What's going to happen and what the bosses want to happen and what the fans want to happen and what the coach wants to happen, all, all of those things are completely separate things and it's very difficult to predict right now, which one of those things will come to pass. I'm very surprised by Byron's backing of Thomas Tuchel too. And I also think if we went by history, then Tuchel would have probably been sacked by now. But that doesn't also change the fact that even if Tuchel stays his entire tenure, he does have just about a year and a half left on his contract. And I don't see Byron extending it. So, and Tuchel has a history, just just Tuchel himself has a history of being a problematic character and not being able to get along with uh, people in higher positions. His relationship falling apart with Hans Joachim Vachka over at Borussia Dortmund may have had more to do with Vachka himself, especially after just not dealing with the situation properly after the bomb attack on Dortmund's bus and just having to play pretty much the next day, as far as I remember, in the Champions League. And Tuchel did not take that well. Um, of course, who would? So that one we can give him a pass on. But at PSG, at Chelsea, wherever he's been, he's had, he's had problems. So I, I also think we can't go 
by history on this. But speaking of history, and I don't think we have yet spoken extensively about him, but let's give some of our thoughts to the man who this weekend was basically dedicated to and still being dedicated to across the Bundesliga, um, Franz Beckenbauer. Tell me a little about how you felt when the news about Beckenbauer's passing filtered through and how you understand Beckenbauer as one of the many people who never watched him play live because Beckenbauer's last game was, I believe, in the 80s. Well, um, that's a good question. So the thing about Beckenbauer is the news came to me from a interesting source. It came to me from my dad. I was, I think, taking a nap or something, and he just woke me up and said, um, the Kaiser is dead. And I'm like, huh, what? And then he said, Franz Beckenbauer. And I'm like, oh my God, no, no way. And for a while, I just didn't process it because it's like, you know, I never saw him play, but I kind of understood what that, what a guy like him means. Because even if I never did watch him play, I, as a fan of Bayern Munich, an international fan, I would never have even heard of this club if not for the things that Beckenbauer did as a player, right? And that means that every single moment I have enjoyed as a fan of this club is owed to him and that golden generation that he captained back when Bayern Munich were first being established as one of the biggest clubs in the world. Back then, football was very flat. It was not like it is today with very set and established hierarchies. A good team could genuinely leave lasting legacy back. And that's what Beckenbauer did. And that's the direct reason that Bayern Munich catapulted into popularity before things like billionaires and Saudi money got into the game and entrenched the hierarchies even further. It's a strange argument, I think, to make because how can I say that I appreciate a person, a footballer, who I didn't even watch play, really? But I think some things are more... Some people leave a legacy that is beyond what they just did in their actions, but also what they created as a result of their actions. And I think Beckenbauer is that kind of guy. And given my personal deep connection with Bayern Munich, I'm devastated that he passed away. And I have been following the reports that the Allianz Arena could be named after him. And I really hope they do. I hope they do that, even though it would probably hurt the club financially because Allianz pays buying a significant amount of money every single year for the naming rights. Then again, given our track record in the transfer window, maybe we don't need that money. Maybe just, just let the stadium get renamed, you know? That is perhaps my takeaway from this. I, I have more things that I possibly want to talk about, but it's not feasible in a podcast form. I would need to sit down and really collect my thoughts and maybe put it in something. That's why I haven't even signed the condolence book that Bayern Munich have put up online for Beckenbauer. I, I still haven't really gathered all the things that I want to say about him and how he has personally affected me. So I'm just waiting and trying to get a moment to think, which is not easy because I have been so busy lately. The online condolence book, I would suggest that any any fan who, who wants to pay tribute to Beckenbauer go sign it. Uh, when I signed it recently, I was just looking through the posts and just how much people, how much Beckenbauer meant to people was so obvious throughout these posts because Beckenbauer is not the first Bayern legend to pass away in no. recent memory. 
um, we lost Gert Muller not that long yes. ago. And there was, you know, there was similar outpouring, but Beckenbauer's loss feels bigger. And like you, in I, I got, I got the news from, um, I think it was the Guardian or Sky, one of the two. And I texted my dad and he said to me that, yeah, I heard about it this morning and I was so sad. And I learned about Beckenbauer from my dad. So um, he he also never watched Beckenbauer play live. But uh, it just, it's one of those things that just seems to get passed down from generation to generation. And I, like you, in tried to gather my thoughts in the form of a tribute. And I did the very best that I could, but I feel that no matter how much time I spend gathering my thoughts, I just won't really do a good job of expressing what Beckenbauer means. Because to me, Beckenbauer is almost inextricably tied to this club in such a way that nothing, not even his passing, can change or affect the way that he impacted Bayern while he was alive. I was so used to just seeing him join uh, the trophy celebrations and whatnot. He hasn't done it recently because he has been sick. But when I first became a Bayern fan, that was that was regular. Beckenbauer's opinions on TV were regu- regular. Beckenbauer saying a controversial thing or two along the lines of Uli Honus, but maybe not to that extent, was regular. And you knew that this was the guy who Bayern really depended on to build their legacy. And nobody ever forgot that. So uh, as you mentioned, Beckenbauer is the reason, is one of the reasons behind why Bayern is who Bayern is today. In terms of him playing like you in, of course, I didn't see him play, but um, recently there have been videos circling around of his um, playing days. And I was watching a few minutes of Bayern's Champions League final against Saint-Étienne back in the 70s. And Beckenbauer was just so good to watch. And what I realized, funnily enough, when I was watching these old matches play out and these old clips of Bayern was that how much there were automatisms, you know, that word that Tuchel likes kind of built into that team. And I just thought to myself that, man, it would be nice if Bayern still played like this. But there were just these automatisms built into the team. And I saw Beckenbauer play these gorgeous outside of the boot passes and just gliding along the pitch. And if that was what Beckenbauer was like all the time, which it seems like he was, that's extraordinary. And he was this extraordinary figure who whose passing like you in, I don't think has settled into me yet because he, when, when, we talk about Beckenbauer being in the past and when the images of Beckenbauer are shown in stadiums across Germany and I'm watching the games and he comes up, it's hard to believe that he's not there anymore. And I have just seen these wonderful stories in our comment sections when in the pieces that we have dedicated to Beckenbauer or news pieces that we have done about this, just people telling their stories. And it's quite amazing to see how differently Beckenbauer impacted everybody and how so many people came into German football and Bayern Munich because of Beckenbauer. And I am no different. He brought the 2006 World Cup to Germany. And that's what kind of led me into the Bundesliga and eventually Bayern. So 
I don't think yeah. any of us can do justice to this man's legacy. Yep. I think I have to agree. It's, you know, you mentioned Gerd Muller and when Gerd Muller passed away, this is more of a personal thing for me, but uh, I felt it on a more personal level when Gerd Muller passed away than this recent news about Beckett Power because Gerd, he was suffering from Alzheimer's and you may not know this, but my grandfather also passed away from Alzheimer's and by the end, it gets really bad and I don't want to go too deep into that on this podcast, but I was kind of just thinking about that when Gerd Muller passed away and that is how I rationalized it. And I thought this is a man who is now gone and I really hope for the sake of his family that his passing was good. He was surrounded by his friends and his family and it was painless. That is That was how I saw that moment. In the case of Beckenbauer, I still have not been able to process it because he wasn't really, I can't really see Beckenbauer the man in the same way because he was such a larger than life figure. You know, he was, he was Bayern Munich in a way because in the time when Beckenbauer and the golden generation came through, they were, they were the rock stars of their era and the first real rock stars that Germany are first real true celebrities that Germany had at the time. That just kind of makes it a little bit different. And it makes also watching those old clips of Beckenbauer and those other players play in the time that they used to. It it doesn't quite hit the right spot for me simply because I know that I'm getting an inauthentic experience because I don't have the correct context to really appreciate what I'm seeing. You know, that is something that I regret but it also is my personal failing as someone who was not of that generation. I simply cannot figure out what I want to think about this. I am still having to process it. Right. Because Beckenbauer felt almost superhuman at times and Gartmuller was human. And so Gartmuller's passing was understood because we knew about his struggles down the years. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think... We have to stop there and apologies for this very short podcast because I am still on call today. I could be called away at any moment and I need to go. But thank you to Samrin for being here today. Thank you to everyone for listening. Please stay tuned. We are going to have more and better and bigger podcasts spanned for 2024, including multiple plans that I cannot reveal at the moment. But thank you for listening. Remember to check out our blog, us on Twitter and everything else.